Hello and a happy new year. Welcome to the first episode of Social Justice Matters of 2021. This is a podcast from Social Justice Ireland. My name is Suzanne Rogers and I'm a research and policy analyst with Social Justice Ireland. As regular listeners will know at this point, we release three different types of podcasts. Our SJI 10-minute lesson series aims to educate and inform listeners on a particular area of policy, giving a brief overview of somewhere in the range of 8 to 15 minutes and hitting on the key points that people need to know. Our SJI interview series where we chat to experts on a range of policy areas and our seminar series which provides opportunities to listen back to some of the most important presentations at past events. This is one of those. In today's episode, we take a look back to last year's annual social policy conference where Colette Bennett of Social Justice Ireland will explore some of the policy options for a social contract to deliver a better future. We hope you enjoy it. Our next speaker is Colette Bennett. Colette is Economic and Social Analyst with Social Justice Ireland. She joined the organisation in 2018, having spent almost a decade engaged with social policy and advocacy work on behalf of a large debt organisation and in a volunteer capacity with organisations such as the Simon Community, FLAC and Unseal. In December 2016, Colette led an EU special mission to Cyprus to support the insolvency service of Cyprus to implement their insolvency solutions for low-income debtors. Colette is a member of the Irish Social Policy Association. Colette, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Mick. Thank you. So I am going to try to share my screen now for my slides. and Let's see how this goes. So if everybody can see that. Uh, so, first of all, thank you so much. Um, as I say, thank you so much to Mick, but also to everybody who's tuned in today. Um, what I'm going to be speaking about following on from Joe's excellent presentation is what a new social contract might actually look like and making some policy proposals for how it might take shape. Um, this paper, if I can give a shameless plug, is extracted in large part from our social contract publication that issued in September this year and is also available on our website. So what, why a new social contract? Well, most people pay little or no attention at all to the social contract that underpins their relationship with the state. Yet, the social contract is very important as it sets out the often unwritten agreement whereby the citizen contributes to the common good economically, socially and culturally on the assumption that the state will ensure a minimum standard of living, essential social services and infrastructure and the protection of basic rights. Moments of great upheaval often see people raising major questions concerning what was simply taken as a given previously and the current pandemic has provided this moment. The initial response to the new challenges showed a solidarity that's not always obvious in the usual day-to-day -day experience of most people, but it also shows up the inequalities that are built into our society. The economic lockdown imposed the greatest cost on many of those who are already the worst off. Thousands of jobs have been lost in hospitality, in leisure, in related sectors, which are characterised by a high incidence of low pay and often precarious working practices. Many of those who are still working and risking their lives, such as carers and healthcare support workers, as well as shelf stackers and cleaners, are also among the lowest paid in our society. 
government clearly acknowledged that the basic welfare payment of 203 euro is too low when set when it set the pandemic unemployment payment at 350 euro a week and i see today that the Life Worth Living report has suggested an income of, of above that again in relation to, to workers in the arts sector. If it's too low for those becoming unemployed, then it's too low for those already unemployed. It's well beyond time that every person in Ireland was guaranteed an income which provided a minimum essential standard of living as set out by the Vincentian Partnership for Social Justice in their research. Once COVID-19 has been defeated then, all countries will face a major challenge. And this is something that Philippe spoke about in his earlier presentation today. That challenge will be to decide if the experience of recent months and our response to it should shape the future of our society. We must learn from this experience and tackle the inequality and exclusion that we failed to address heretofore. What we see clearly now is that the healthcare services that struggled in normal times are being provided with significant additional resources that we were told couldn't even be considered prior to the pandemic. What was claimed to be impossible then is now the only sensible course of action now. All of this suggests that there's something profoundly wrong with our social contract. Once COVID-19 has been addressed successfully, it's crucial that we face up to the radical reforms that are required if we are to reverse the prevailing thrust of policymaking over the past four decades, which has failed to eliminate the inequality and exclusion that blights our society. So looking then at this new vision, we need a social contract that is underpinned by a commitment that government will work at all times to produce five key outcomes simultaneously. These are a vibrant economy, decent services and infrastructure, just taxation, good governance and sustainability. These need to be achieved together, working to achieve one or two of these outcomes rather than all five simultaneously would simply lead to further inequality and exclusion. We need the investment in infrastructure and services to develop a thriving economy. We need just taxation to fund those things. We need good governance to ensure that people have a say in shaping the decisions that impact them. And we also need to ensure that everything that is done is sustainable, environmentally, economically, and socially. This will require new approaches to the world of work and a recognition of much of the work done in society that goes unpaid, under-recognized and undervalued. It will also require recognition that our tax and welfare systems are not fit for purpose in the 21st century. The social welfare system and the income tax credit system should be replaced by the universal basic income, which would be a far more appropriate for today's economy. A new social contract will also require us to give climate action the priority that it urgently needs. The response to COVID-19 shows that society can be mobilized quickly and effectively to address a real and present danger. Climate change represents such a danger, but the policy response so far has been wholly inadequate. We now know that we can respond quickly and effectively to major threats. So an effective response to climate change must figure prominently in the new social contract. Even at the earliest stages of this pandemic, the critical value of having an effective public sector was illustrated. The focus of recent decades on constantly reducing the role of the public sector has been shown to be wrong. Countries with a functioning public sector that caters for essential health services for all have been shown to be better equipped to deal with the pandemic than those without, including Ireland with our two-tier system of healthcare. 
we can't return to that two-tier healthcare system when this pandemic has passed. Now, some might think that this isn't the time to focus on issues such as the future of a social contract. However, history would say otherwise. And, and Joe spoke very eloquently in relation to that, as did Anne and Philippe. Before World War II had concluded, plans were already being laid for a major restructuring of societies. In 1941, we had the Atlantic Charter, which led to the establishment of the United Nations. In 1942, the Beveridge Report, with its commitment to a universal welfare state, was published in the United Kingdom. And in 1944, the Bretton Woods Conference put together the post-war financial architecture. Now is the time for creative thinking about what society should look like when the pandemic has passed, because business as usual is no longer acceptable. We need this new social contract. So looking at what that might entail in some detail, in terms of a vibrant economy, we need to deal with the deficit. We need to ring fence the COVID costs incurred in this year, next year and the year after and finance those with a very long term low interest loan. We must review the recovery from the current crisis in two distinct but connected parts. The first is the immediate recovery of the economy and society and the second is the recovery uh, sorry, is the recovery and the economy of society into the future. So the aftermath of COVID-19 and the future recovery must be separated out with COVID-19 costs ring-fenced and financed through low-cost borrowing. We must move Ireland's tax take towards the EU average by widening the tax base in a fair and just manner, and I'll speak a little more about that later on. We must make savings on expenditure, but not through cuts in services or infrastructure budget. We have to learn the lessons of the past and avoid a return to austerity policies, which are not only socially damaging, but also economically counterproductive because they lead to economic contraction. And we must adjust the EU's fiscal rules to cope with the post-COVID reality, which is something that Social Justice Ireland has long argued for. In terms then of financial stability, we should integrate a sustainable development framework into economic policy, where we consider growth and economic competitiveness in the context of sustainability, using a framework for a sustainable development which gives equal consideration to the environmental, social and economic dimensions in a balanced way. We need to do more in terms of off-balance sheet investment in affordable housing and rental and to radically rethink our housing system, how it's structured and financed. Part of this must also include appealing the Eurostat decision in respect of the tier three approved housing bodies with a view to increasing our supply of publicly owned social housing. We must boost investment and dramatically increase investment in infrastructure and services. Again, we'll, we'll talk more about that a little bit later on. We need to recognize that while most additional investment should be in once-off infrastructure, there's also a need to invest in recurring expenditure to generate the structural change and reform that's required. So that investment in healthcare, housing, education, broadband, among other areas, is accompanied by a commitment to current expenditure that supports the relevant functions. So for example, primary, hair, primary care teams, uh, wraparound services for housing first, and reducing the teacher-pupil ratio. We must resource the upskilling of those who are unemployed or at risk of unemployment and deal with precarious employment. We must invest in lifelong learning as part of a human capital investment strategy and commit to increasing investment in early childhood care and education by 0.1% of GDP annually. And we must develop a framework to deliver sustainable funding 
for higher education. In terms then of decent jobs, there needs to be an increase to the minimum wage to the level of the living wage, which would support around 120,000 workers to have a decent standard of living. We must strengthen and enforce legislation to tackle job precarity and low pay. We must develop flexible working initiatives to support remote working and increased participation for people with disabilities. We've seen what can be done in response to COVID-19 and we must take what's good about that and start integrating it into everyday working life. And we must recruit and upskill healthcare workers to meet demand. Even before the COVID-19 crisis, there was a healthcare crisis with high occupancy rates in acute services and a real dearth of step down and home care supports. There's a need to support and upskill healthcare workers and to expand the numbers employed to ensure sufficient numbers are available to deliver a decent level of service. And finally, under this section, we must reduce inequality, set an ambitious national poverty reduction target to eliminate poverty in line with our Agenda 2030 commitments, make persistent poverty, which measures the proportion of those living below the poverty line in the current year and two of the three preceding years, the primary indicator of poverty measurement. Introduce policies to eliminate in-work poverty, including making tax credits refundable. Implement a program to reduce overall poverty to 4% within five years. And ensure adequate income through the life cycle, including adequate payments for children, women, and a universal state social welfare payment. Moving on then to decent services and infrastructure. We must invest in primary care networks and step-down facilities, as I've said, We've seen the stark realities of how healthcare needs across the life cycle need to be more appropriately addressed. And in most cases, this means on a community level with acute care reserved for acute cases. We need to address deficits in those step-down facilities and home care and eliminate delayed discharges completely. We must fully resource the implementation of Sláinte Care, including the 500 million annual commitment to infrastructure over the next six years. And we acknowledge that Budget 2021 did go some way to starting this process. We must set a target of 20% of all housing stock in Ireland to be social housing within a decade, to bring this in line with other European countries. And we must invest in housing first and develop a suite of wraparound services for homeless adults and families. In terms then of quality services, we need to invest in education, literacy and retraining programmes to address needs, that is, young people not engaged in employment, education or training in disadvantaged areas. While the gap between retention rates in DESH and non-DESH schools has halved since 2001, it still stands at 8.5%. So the government must work to ensure that schools in disadvantaged areas are supported to, to bring the rate of early school leavers to below Ireland's country specific target of 8% under the EU 2020 strategy and towards the national rate of 4%. We must invest in ancillary community services to remove barriers to employment. And this is particularly the case for long-term unemployed and low work intensity households. In order to develop appropriate supports, we must engage with the, the lived experience of these households, of their barriers in presenting and look to implement structural supports to facilitate engagement. We must properly resource mental health services which have been underfunded for years. We must create additional respite care and long stay facilities for older people and people with disabilities. And we must fund the CSO to conduct annual surveys to discover the value of all unpaid work across the country and to publish those survey results. In terms of a minimum social floor, 
we must introduce a floor of basic income and basic services with the introduction of a universal state social welfare pension as a first step. It's increasingly important that the state set minimum floors of income and service below which none of their citizens should fall. Robust and well-funded public services set the floor which underpin the living standards of most people. Accessible healthcare, high quality education, a well-regulated housing sector, subsidised public transport and other important contributions to essential services are things without which most citizens would have a real difficulty um, existing without. However, even in a situation where most or all of these things are cheap or even free, individuals will have income needs to allow them to participate in society at a level considered the social norm. This is why universal basic income and universal basic services are complementary policies, essential to ensuring that everyone in society has sufficient income and sufficient access to public services to live a life with dignity and experience living standards that might be expected in a first world country. The better the quality and the better subsidised these services are, the lower the level of basic income necessary. And as a first step, the government should move towards, as I said, a universal state social welfare pension to support older people to live a life with dignity. There must be greater recognition to the role of carers and, and work done in the home and a recognition that the term work isn't synonymous with just paid employment. We need to introduce a cost of disability payment and make a real attempt to disentangle disability from poverty in Ireland by giving due recognition to the additional costs associated with living with a disability. We should index social welfare payments to a minimum essential standard of living. So Social Justice Ireland have previously called for the return to benchmarking um, social welfare payments to what would now be 27.5% of average weekly earnings as a move towards the provision of that minimum essential standard of living. We must ensure medical card coverage for all who are vulnerable so that access to healthcare is based on need rather than ability to pay. And we should introduce state-led childcare, recognising that affordable childcare and child-friendly employment arrangements are key requirements for greater labour market participation, particularly among young mothers. Childcare is yet another area brought into focus by COVID-19, with many working parents, myself included, struggling to meet work and other commitments in its absence. A high-quality, state-led, affordable childcare system is desperately needed. So how do we pay for all of this? That's when we start to look at a just transition. Social Justice Ireland has previously called for government to increase the tax take and to commit to, to increasing it by between two and a half to three billion annually. Recognising that previous benchmarks set relative to the overall proportion of national income collected in taxation have become redundant and setting an alternative benchmark. We propose a new tax take target set on a per capita basis so that Ireland's overall level of taxation would reach a level equivalent to 15,000 per capita in 2017 terms. This target should then increase each year in line with growth in GNI star. Increasing the overall taxation revenue to meet this new target would represent a small overall increase in taxation levels, and one which is unlikely to have any significant negative impact on the economy. We should review the use of tax expenditures to promote investment in areas that support society. The recent European Commission assessment on broadening the tax base shows that we have significant scope for improvement and that there are many policy instruments available to us. 
The OECD points to tackling inefficient tax expenditures and a focus on raising revenues from tax bases that would be the least detrimental to growth, including recurrent taxes on immovable property and general consumption taxes as areas for governments to consider for base broadening. We should reform the high income individuals restriction to include all tax expenditures. As it currently stands, the restriction doesn't apply to all tax breaks, including pension contributions. We should increase carbon taxes in line with IPCC recommendations. And we welcomed in Social Justice Ireland moves in this direction in Budget 2021. However, in addition to doing this, the importance of investing in a just transition using additional resources from the carbon tax increase must also be recognised. And we believe that as the tax increases, the government should be more specific in defining how it will assist these households. We must ensure fair taxation of corporates, which is principally an issue of fairness. Profitable firms with substantial income should make a contribution to society rather than pursuing various schemes and methods to avoid making this contribution. We must introduce a minimum effective rate of corporation tax of 6% on all corporate profits passing through Ireland. And we should clarify and enforce the vacant site levy legislation to ensure it actually achieves its original purpose. In terms then of broadening the tax base, we need to introduce a financial transaction tax. It is regrettable that to date government has not committed to supporting recent European moves to introduce this tax, a financial transaction tax or Tobin tax as it's almost also called. This would be a progressive tax designed to target only those profiting from speculation. It's levied at a very small rate on all transactions, but given the scale of those transactions globally, it has the ability to raise significant funds. We should introduce an aviation fuel tax or a commercial air transport tax as part of a comprehensive carbon policy to meet our national targets for 2030 out to 2050. This is in line with the polluter pays principle and the environment liability directive. We should explore new initiatives to promote behavioral change through the tax system and to disincentivize engaging in certain behaviors that are harmful to the environment or to society. And we should change the local property tax to a site value tax, which is based on the value of the land or the site before anything has been done to it. Site value tax disincentivizes land hoarding because the same rate of tax applies whether there is development or not. This would lead to more efficient use of land within the structure of social, environmental and economic goals embodied in planning and other legislation. We should reduce, or sorry, reintroduce the windfall gains tax at 80%, close tax loopholes for property investment vehicles, and reintroduce the non-principal private residence tax at a rate of 500 euro per annum. In terms then of taxation governance, there really needs to be a review of annual, or sorry, of, of tax expenditures annually. There have been multiple reports highlighting and detailing the need for new methods for evaluating and introducing tax reliefs, also known as tax expenditures. The proposals focused on prior evaluation of the costs and benefits of any proposed expenditure, the need to collect detailed information on each expenditure, the introduction of time limits for expenditures, the creation of an annual tax expenditures report as part of the budget process, and the regular scrutiny of this area by an Oireachtas committee. Recently, there's been some progress in this direction with a report for the Department of Finance accompanying Budget 2015, proposing a new process for considering and evaluating tax breaks. Documentation accompanying budgets 2016 to 2021 also included an annual tax expenditure report. 
So we welcome this development and we believe it's important to further develop this work to deepen the proposed analysis and to further improve the ability of the Oireachtas to regularly review all of the tax expenditures in the Irish taxation system. We must establish a taxation commission with a clear mandate to set out a pathway towards increasing the total tax take and broadening the tax base. And we must simplify the tax system so that individuals and corporations with significant resources can no longer exploit the loopholes inherent in the various pieces of legislation and thereby benefit disproportionately. Moving on then to the fourth section of our proposed framework, which is good governance. This must be open, transparent and accountable. And to this end, government policy should protect the most vulnerable in society, or at the very least, not actively do them harm by in, and introduce impact assessments and poverty proofing on all government initiatives. Government should ensure that budgetary allocations are valid, realistic and transparent and take account of existing levels of service. In the past number of years, budgetary allocations, particularly in the area of health, have lacked transparency and have failed to account for existing levels of service. This is an issue that Social Justice Ireland have highlighted in our analysis and critique of recent budgets. The budgetary process must be accountable and transparent, subject to scrutiny and debate by stakeholders. We must legislate for enforcement mechanisms where local authorities do not use their full allocation for traveller-specific accommodation. We must adopt and implement a national financial literacy strategy alluded to in the National Action Plan for Social Inclusion. And we must ensure adequate funding for civil legal aid to achieve equality of access and address imbalances of power. We must also have greater transparency of lobbying activities and have more detail in the Standards and Public Office Commission's annual reports under the Regulation of Lobbying Act of policy areas with the greatest lobbying activity, the lobbying organisations and the designated public officials engaged because this would aid the transparency and highlight to the general public those who are influencing the political decision-making processes. Now, I don't intend to go into any great detail about social dialogue. Um, Joe has spoken about it and there's an eminent panel in the afternoon in session three of today's conference with the remit to do just that. But in terms of our, our policy recommendations in this regard, we call on government to ensure that the national economic and social dialogue and partnership includes all five pillars, that all voices are heard and include all stakeholders, that discussion is broadened beyond pay and taxation, and that an integrated approach to discussing issues is taken. At local level, government should establish a dialogue forum in every local authority involving local authorities and the the PPNs, the public participation networks. This engagement is critical as Ireland strives to implement the sustainable development goals and well-being at local and regional levels. Ireland should also fully implement recommendations of the Commission for the elimination of racial discrimination within a reasonable time frame, including the elimination of direct provision. And we welcome moves in that regard, both in the programme for government and in budget 2021. We must introduce an ex-ante social impact assessment of all policy proposals to be discussed at Oireachtas committees. Similar to the recommendation in respect of poverty-proofing government initiatives generally, the government must, must develop and implement an ex-ante social impact assessment of policy proposals to be discussed at Oireachtas committees. And finally then, to sustainability. In the area of climate justice, we must ensure that all people are treated fairly in the creation of policies and projects that address climate change, as well as in the systems that create climate change. Social dialogue on climate action and sustainability at local and national level 
must be undertaken to ensure that the voices of all affected by climate change and the policies proposed to address it are heard and integrated into projects and systems. At a global level, Ireland must continue to increase its level of official development assistance or ODA towards the UN agreed target of 0.7% of national income to support developing countries who suffer the most as a result of climate change. We must ensure that sustainable agriculture policy, sustainable land management and short supply chains for farmers and consumers form the basis of agricultural policy. We must Support for sustainable agricultural practice is really important to ensure the long-term viability of the sector. And consideration must also be given to how the projected increase in agricultural emissions can be offset. It's really important that the agricultural sector is at the forefront of developing and implementing sustainable farming practices and is innovative in reducing emissions. We must develop a comprehensive mitigation and transition programme to support communities and people in the transition to a low carbon society. This strategy must preempt some of the challenges we face as we move to a more sustainable form of development. The development of a national mitigation and transition strategy is a matter of priority if there's to be public support for the significant and fundamental changes required in the years ahead. In terms of protecting the environment, we must invest in integrated, accessible, sustainable and environmentally friendly public transport networks. Government policy must also examine how to discourage private car use, particularly in urban areas, in conjunction with the provision of accessible and quality public transport and an improved cycling network, all forming part of a transition to a low carbon transport system. We must invest in hard infrastructure for cycle lanes. We must develop passive housing construction processes to ensure environmental sustainability in housing. This is not only a mechanism for reducing emissions, but also makes houses more energy efficient and therefore cheaper to heat. We must review building regulations to ensure good ventilation, heating and fire safety standards across all buildings. Building sustainable housing is also about building livable communities. Reductions in building standards for the buy-to-let market, so small units, lack of cross-ventilation, no balconies, have all been exposed by the current pandemic as the health hazards that they are. Building standards must be refocused to have public health and sustainable living at the core of housing development rather than profit. We must adopt targets and a reporting system for each of the sustainable development goals. Ireland has signed up to achieve the, the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals, by 2030 and is committed to legally binding climate-based goals in 2020 and 2030 and a national commitment to be carbon neutral by 2050. Ensuring development is sustainable socially and economically and environmentally will be key to achieving these targets. To achieve the sustainable development in the years ahead, Ireland must adopt targets for each of the SDGs, develop a roadmap to meet those targets and implement reviews of those targets and the steps taken to actually achieving them. And we must set ambitious emissions reduction targets for 2030 and ensure sufficient resources to support implementation of those targets. In terms of balanced regional development, we must ensure that investment is balanced between the regions with due regard to sub-regional areas. The main driver of Ireland's rural economy has moved from being primarily agriculture to a more diverse base involving services, manufacturing, tourism when we can, and other industries. Further development requires support for the provision of public services, 
investment in micro businesses and small or medium enterprises, innovation and the sustainable use of natural resources and natural capital in rural economic development zones or, or REDs. These recognise that rural economies are functionally designed around towns and villages of various sizes whose hinterland may cross administrative boundaries. New fundings for REDs is, is welcome, however, we are of the view that resources available need to be increased and that success requires a community partnership rather than a locally, local authority driven model to be successful. Initiatives such as Smart Villages as promoted by the European Network for Rural Development should also be actively considered. We must ensure rural development policy is underpinned by social, economic and environmental well-being and develop an integrated rural development policy structure. Recognising that low density rural economies are fundamentally different to urban economies and as such require different policies to meet a different set of challenges and opportunities. Rural areas and small villages are connected and networked to the local regions and these local region, regional economies are dependent on the interaction with rural areas they connect with. Given this interconnection, it's important that rural and regional development is integrated. We must also establish a just transition and adaptation dialogue to ensure rural areas are not disproportionately impacted by low carbon policies and are supported to meet the challenges posed by the future of work. Government has a role to play to encourage and stimulate projects which have the capacity to address core issues, including rural poverty and a just transition to a low carbon future in rural areas. We must implement the sustainable, inclusive and empowered community strategies for the community and voluntary sector. In terms of sustainable development and the sustainable development index, we need to develop a national index of progress, ensuring social and environmental issues are incorporated into our national accounts. We need to improve our data collection methods when it comes to biodiversity and to monitor the impact of climate change in this context to protect both our natural resources and our economy. Our natural capital and ecosystems should also be assigned value in our national accounting systems. It's important to move beyond a purely financial approach and ensure that other key indicators of well-being are given the priority they deserve by policymakers. This could be a key initiative to support the development of more robust economic, social and environmental policies. Social Justice Ireland, another shameless plug, uh, produce a social, or sorry, a sustainable progress index every year based around the sustainable development goals. And this could be used to inform this process. The metrics referred to in the sustainable progress index, which are widely available and used internationally, could be a baseline for a more cohesive set of national accounts. Government should also implement in full the commitment in the SDG implementation plan to identify areas of departmental expenditure which support specific SDGs and expand this to badging or tagging all policy decisions with the relevant goal or goals. You'll be glad to know I'm, I'm coming to the conclusion section. As we face into the most difficult and challenging times most of us have ever known, it's important to acknowledge that despite well-documented problems and challenges, Ireland is in the privileged position of having public services and social infrastructure to rely on at a time of crisis. This is due to the social contract that underpins our social infrastructure. The social contract as a concept has evolved to encompass a situation whereby situ citizens contribute to the common good, whether economically, socially or culturally, on the assumption that the state will ensure a minimum standard of living essential social services and infrastructure is provided and the protection of their basic rights 
As part of this social contract arrangement in a modern democratic society, citizens may expect access to meaningful work as well as protection from poverty at times where paid employment is not accessible, a minimum floor of income and services in times of old age, disability or infirmity, an education system that is relevant, accessible and high in quality, a guarantee that their needs will be met at times of ill health, the regulation and protection of the environment for the good of all citizens and ensured participation in civic life and in the decisions that affect them. In return, citizens have a responsibility to contribute to society in different ways at different points in the life cycle. This may be through being employed, through paying taxes, through engaging in caring and voluntary work, or making other contributions to the economic, social, cultural or environmental well-being of society. A key part of the social contract is solidarity between generations. At different points in the life cycle, all of us will, from a financial perspective at least, be either net beneficiaries or net contributors to society. This differs depending on whether we are children, adults of working age or pensioners. It depends on whether we are in full-time or part-time education, engaged in caring work or in paid employment or volunteering in the community. But at almost all times, we are contributing to and benefiting from society in different ways. The current crisis and its impact on the economy and society mean that in the long term, we must reconceptualize the interaction of employment and work taxation and welfare and give serious consideration to policies such as universal basic income. In this paper and our publication, Building a New Social Contract, the policy recommendations, Social Justice Ireland have presented our vision for a new social contract, one that's based on the principles of justice and fairness with sustainability at its core. And now is the time to act. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope you found it useful. If you want to read more about our policy options for a new social contract, check out our recent publication on this topic on our website www.socialjustice.ie And if you have any ideas for future podcasts, feel free to email us at secretary at socialjustice.ie with your suggestions. Until next time, stay safe.